Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is your host, Matthew Kirby, and welcome to a new season of the Young Black HR Podcast, brought to you and sponsored by Honest Human Resources Consulting. Our mission is to have meaningful conversations by amplifying voices and perspectives we need to hear in today's times. The Young Black HR Podcast challenges how we define a human resource through discussion of our talents, abilities, and backgrounds that we bring to the table. Now I have one question for you. How are you a human resource? Enjoy today's episode. This one's on me. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Young Black HR Podcast with your host. Y'all know how I do it by now. It's me, Matthew Kirby, and I am excited to not only talk about this week's conversation, but also we have an amazing perspective that I'm happy to not only have this conversation with, but y'all, I can't wait until you hear from this amazing person. So let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. With us today is Therese Lamb, the Chief People Officer at Wind River. Therese brings over 20 years of HR experience in both large multinational and medium-sized high-growth organizations spanning across the globe. She excels at transforming organizational culture to be more inclusive and energized. Hey, Therese, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Wow, Matt, (laughs) that is such an intro. I don't know who wrote that. Uh, I am so thrilled (laughs) to be here. Thank you for having me join your uh, podcast. Absolutely. And and you know what? It's it's always a great thing to have these types of conversations. A lot of people benefit from this. And I think even as we think about this topic, and I'm I'm, I'm so excited to, to get into it when we think about the return to work, what does that really mean? And we'll jump into that shortly. But Before we get there, Therese, I can't treat you any differently. So, Mm -hmm. Therese, the question that I always ask everyone on the show, how are you a human resource? So, Matt, actually, you know, I never really liked uh, the profession being called human resources, to be honest with you. You know, it's either viewed as, you know, resource to humans or, you know, viewing humans as assets. I much prefer, you know, seeing people as people, right, in organizations. Um, So, I've... I've changed at Wind River when I first started changing everything, you know, from human resources to people. So that's why my title is Chief People Officer. My team is called People Team and uh, the people on my team are called People Partners or People Business Partners because at the end of the day, it's all about people and people bring all come from different backgrounds, different cultures, right? Different walks of life. And so we should celebrate that. So it's all about the people. I love it. I love it. And it's one of those things where I can't agree with you and amen and uh-huh enough when I think about, and this is one of the things that for folks who have been listening to the episode and for folks who are even new to the Young Black HR podcast, this is something at some point you're always going to hear me reference in some sort of fashion, but it's really all about humanizing not only each other, but also ourselves. It's about looking at those folks, those people that we work with as assets, as resources, right? We want to understand the the person behind the position. So I can always appreciate an organization that, you know, doesn't take the the traditional HR kind of naming convention. I, I love people ops. I love people this, people that, because it really 
I think it really begins to start to shift some of the some of the perception because, you know, and I'll tell anyone this, you know, folks feel some type of way about HR, Therese, and, you know, we're the work police and, you know, we just, you know, are thought of as just so many different things where really when folks get an understanding that, hey, you know what? Not only are we here to to do a job and help the business better, but we're also here to keep people top of mind. And I think that's something really important. So, no, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Very well said, Matt. Very well said. Yeah, absolutely. So, Therese, are we ready to rock and roll and get into it? Because this return to work, let me let me tell you, you know, people. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure you've seen this in your organization. I've seen this in my organization. Folks that are listening to Young Black HR, I'm sure y'all seen this in your organization. So we we got a lot of talk about when we talk about getting into return to work. What does that mean? How do people feel about it? All of this good stuff. So, Therese, let's just kind of set the stage a little bit, right? When we think about return to work, what does that mean to you? And based on the feedback that you've gotten from others, peers, employees, whoever, you know, how are people perceiving and what do people think of return to work as? Yeah, no, very good question, Matt. And in, in fact, I wouldn't call it return to work. I actually would call it return to the office. Uh, you know, majority of our, um, of our people in the organization are already working, right? Working from home, except for in China, uh, you know, where they have been working in the office uh, since May last year. Majority of us around the world uh, have been uh, working remotely. Remotely could be from home, could be from another location. So, you know, we have really approached, uh, we took the opportunity, you know, over the last 18 months to rethink the way that we think about the office um, and how we want to engage uh, our employees um, in the new way of working as well. Uh, what 18 months has taught us is that anything is possible now. Um, you know, the future of work, they call it, is really here. Um, and, uh, you know, what uh, the 18 months has done also is really accelerated the digital transformation of everything that we do. Uh, so everything is, can be digitized these days, right? So we have Zoom, for example, moving away from phones. Can you believe it? When I first started, we were still using phones. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're using Zoom, which is, thank God, you've got Zoom chat, you've got Slack, you've got, you know, Teams, you've got all these different, you've got digital whiteboards too now to collaborate. So, you know, there's so much out there that we've taken the opportunity to scout and, and look at different technology that would really help us to to collaborate remotely um, and so how we're thinking about the the office and the return to the office is very different uh, once we're you know we were very office based culture um, so most employees were going into the office who were assigned to an office about 30 percent of our uh, employees were actually remote workers a majority were actually attached to an office and uh, most of the the employees were going into the office four day four to five days a week right so we said okay let's take this opportunity to think differently you know how could it's working really well we're actually seeing our, our people very productive right they're not having to travel two to three hours a day to go into the office instead they're using that time uh, for work. Uh, so, you know, how can we rethink about the office? And, um, you know, we got a survey out there to ask employees, you know, how they want to leverage the office. 
And more than 90% of them said, you know, the offers they want to come in for socializing, for collaboration. And so we said, okay, you know, that's what we're going to use the office for. And of course, we will keep the office open for those who, you know, prefer to work in the office because there's so much distraction at home. And we have those employees, right, where they, um, you know, they have families or they have, uh, you know, not a big enough house to um, have a, a, a true home office, prefer to be in the office. And that's totally fine. We're giving a lot of flexibility uh, for our people to decide, you know, how and where they work. So it's uh, it's given us great, great opportunity to rethink that. You know what? You you bring up so many good points. I was like, oh goodness, which way do I want to go? So many, so many good, good things to talk about in that sense. And you know what? I'll start off by saying, you know, maybe for those of you that are listening, you may feel this way as well, but sometimes do you ever have those days, Cerise, where you're just so zoomed out or video chatted um, out, you know, Google Meets or whatever the case may be. It's just like, uh, let me pick up the phone. So I pick on myself a little bit. And, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm when I'm having uh, short conversations with folks, whether it's stand ups or calls or anything like that, sometimes I just pick up the phone. And then the other person will be like, oh, hey, I, I, I didn't see a link. You know, I wasn't sure. I was like, yeah, I, I, I did that on purpose. You know, sometimes I look, I want to go back old school from time to time. So I think it's uh, I think when we think about returning to the office and getting getting back to, to in-person activities, that'll be one of the benefits. I like how you approached it when we think about, hey, you know what, this isn't this isn't just return to work, right? Hopefully we've all been working in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is more so getting back into the office. And I, and I think that a lot of organizations are, are still figuring this out because there, there comes a, a number of layer of things when we think about the complexity, right? What about, you know, when folks who have moved, right? Let's just say if someone was working in California and they've moved somewhere else during this pandemic, right? Are we going to, bring them back to work, right? Would they stay remote? Would they be hybrid? What does that look like? Should we look, here's a good one that I, that I came across, Therese, should we adjust pay, right? If you don't come back to work, now we're going to localize your pay based on the market that you're in. That, that's, that's been a pretty hot topic that I've, that I've been centered around. And even just thinking about that, you know, giving, ultimately, I think giving employees the option as an employer the the option to say hey you know what i want to do work from home on some sort of hybrid basis hey can i do work from home permanently hey can i do you know go back into the office right mm -hmm. what are what are those options that make sense and that ultimately really makes it productive for everyone to be them best selves i think it's one of those things that and we'll get into this more uh, later on the show, but even as we think about how does vaccination status and how do we keep those 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 physical places safe is going to be key. But even before we get to that, you know, what are some of those things? And I'm going to pick on compensation again. But what are some of those things that you know you you've heard of come across as far as pay being localized for folks mm -hmm. who may have moved away and went somewhere else? Yeah, Matt, um, we've even before COVID and this whole remote working, we've always, in relation to our comp philosophy, applied a location specific ranges. And I think many companies, um, you know, do this as well. Uh, so it's not so much about remote working 
um, you know, versus uh, office pay. It's about location. Uh, so we have had our people, some of our people say, hey, uh, do you mind if I move from California to Arizona, for example? What does that mean for me? And we have adjusted pay, right? We have adjusted pay because the living conditions, the, you know, local uh, cost of living are very different, you know, between the Bay Area and Arizona, for example. Uh, so I, I think it's only fair and equitable to, to look at uh, the pay. Now, I, I'm not saying that for every single instance uh, we have adjusted pay, but we certainly look at the person in the range um, and, uh, you know, if they're low in the range, we don't make the adjustments because, you know, they may be low in the range in California, but then when they move to Arizona, the, the, they're in the mid range, a little bit slightly higher. We're like, okay, that's fine. They're a great talent. We want to, you know, we want to make sure we retain them. So we keep the, the pay the same. So it really depends on, you know, each specific and individual case, but we do do our analysis before we make that decision. So hopefully that answers your question. It does. And you know what? I think that I think that's a good point. Sometimes when I when I just chat with fellow employees, peers, things of that nature, there there tends to be, I would say in some cases, there there tends to be a, a certain shock value, right? And that could be for, for many reasons, right? Maybe the conversation hasn't been held as thorough as it needs to be between employer and employee. Maybe it's a situation where, you know what, the employee is like, hey, you know, I, I've been at X amount for a certain amount of time, just leave my pay alone, right? And I, I've, I've seen a lot of different practices out there where, you know, some folks, some organizations adopt more of a universal model. Uh, some organizations, most organizations, adopt the model of, hey, what about pay locales? And then others, you know, are, are somewhere in between and just figuring out. So even just thinking about it from an employee perspective, you know, what, what has been, at least in your experiences, what has been some of the reception to where if someone says, hey, you know what, I'm going to go to Arizona, you know, I'm okay with you adjusting my pay. How has that came across to different employees? Has it been received pretty well thus far? Yeah, you know, and, and again, it's not a one size fit all, uh, not all roles we can approve, you know, to work remote, to be honest, uh, you know, some roles we, we do need. So for example, you know, uh, a lot of the engineering roles or junior roles, we do need them to be co-located, uh, you know, with others, because it's, it's just that fluidity of, you know, um, sharing of knowledge, for example, collaboration on problem solving, right? But for some other roles, yes. Uh, we're totally fine with that role being um, remote. We have, we had 30% of our uh, our workforce uh, work remotely anyway before COVID. And so we, we had to look at specific roles um, and, uh, you know, we've said that that's what we've said. We've had town hall questions come up um, and my basic answer has been, you know, let's, uh, let's talk, let's talk about it because every situation is different. Um, and we've got it. We, we will try to make it work as much as we can, right? We will try to make it work as much we much as we can. Um, and what we do see, you know, with the new hybrid model is the ability, and with the the technology that exists today, the ability for more remote working. Um, but mind you, Matt, there there are they, they do still, and and this is even before COVID. Uh, you know, remote workers do want to get together, right? They do want that FaceTime as well. And we were allowed for that because I think there is 
the, the beauty of in-person is that social relationship building aspect. You can only do so much virtually, right? You can only do so much via Zoom. You, you got to be in person, um, you know, after a period of time. Last, yesterday, I just had a two-hour uh, lunch with one of my team members and it was fantastic, right? I, I, I would not sit on a Zoom two hours with her you know, because it's exhausting, right? Having the video on and, and having a discussion for two hours. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, we had lunch and it was just so beautiful. Um, and I really missed it. And I think people have forgotten about it, to be honest. You know, we're all working from home. We've gotten used to this. Um, we just got to get out more. And once you do it, you're like, wow, i got to do this more. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get it and understand from that perspective. I think it is something now. And look, for those of you that have been listening or even that are new to the Young Black HR podcast, it's one of those things where I enjoy picking on myself. I can talk about myself. You know, I just I'm just very comfortable with that. And even just as a remote worker. So for those of you that don't know or may already know, you all know hopefully that I'm in Seattle, right? So my office, when I when I go back to a physical building from time to time, it's, it's in LA, right? So I go down there from time to time. But also, even to your point, Therese, I like the idea that even as remote employees, that there's that idea of saying, hey, if we're in the same kind of region, the same kind of area, right? If there are some employees that are up here in Seattle with me, or if I lived in LA, or if I lived in Atlanta, or whatever the case may be, I like that idea of that regional collaboration, especially if you know we're we're on similar teams and it makes sense. Um, even just thinking about it from that way. So just the idea, you know, I always like to give uh, a bit of depth and perspective to, hey, going back to the office is the office. Now everyone can answer this differently for your situation individual situations, but is your office only in one place, right? What about those orgs that may have multiple offices in different places, right? What are about those orgs that are flexible enough to say, hey, you know what? We might not have a location in Seattle or Chicago or Miami or North Carolina or wherever the case may be, but hey, we're okay if you all go and seek a co-working space, mm -hmm. right? Just that collaborative efforts, you know, and it, and it helps. And, you know, I always enjoy having these types of conversations because I'm given this perspective. Look, y'all, look, I have no shame in my game. I am an introverted day in and day out, but every once in a while, I like to come out and, and mingle and everything like that. And I think there should be that space ultimately uh, for that because it'll, it'll make, it'll make really good sense. But I do also have to think about unless Let's kind of balance this perspective out, Teresa, a little bit. When we think about just kind of the, the, the pitch, if you will, when we think about getting organizations, getting people to come back, you may have heard or seen or read an article or anything like that. You know, some folks are quitting jobs. Some folks are leaving. You know, some folks are doing this and doing that. So as we think about this transformation, and I think at this point, a lot of this will occur uh, next year in 2022 but you know what what's what are some of the 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 marketing aspects in that sense behind hey you know what let's how how are we going to convince people to come back versus leaving versus dealing with turnover backfilling headcount all of that good stuff so a very good question matt um you know i think at the end of the day if you approach and you apply a people first strategy uh, and listen, right, to really what your people are saying, 
um, that's that's the ideal, right? That that will help also uh, people to migrate back into the office. So we've done quite a number of uh, of surveys um, out there, and um, you know we're taking the approach a phase approach. So four different phases uh, to help people to return to the office. Um, and what we do know is that, you know, 60% of our uh, what matters to our employees is the safety, right, of the return to the office. And so how we're approaching, you know, the, the, the whole return to the office is from a safety first point of view, a safety first people point of view. Um, and so how we, we look at uh, safety is on two key considerations. One is making sure that, uh, you know, from a uh, COVID spread perspective, we minimize that right down, right? So we're going into phase three very shortly uh, here in the US. And what phase three is, is just asking people to volunteer to return to the office, but only those who are fully vaccinated, right? We know uh, evidence is showing that, uh, you know, the, the hospitalization of COVID at the moment, over 90% of those are unvaccinated, right? 99% of deaths are among those unvaccinated. So we rather take a cautious uh, stance here and make sure that, um, you know, look, if you want to return to the office at the moment, uh, you've got to be fully vaccinated, you know, to really minimize the risk of sort of any spread, you know, to your colleagues and also to, you know, to yourself as well, right? And we know that there are increasing breakthrough cases as well, uh, even though mild, um, but there are there are those breakthrough cases coming through. Um, so we're only asking volunteers um, and then we'll wait and see. I mean, we said tentatively uh, in January, we'll reopen, you know, the office fully, but we're just taking a slow, you know, safety first, people first approach. Um, and uh, the way that we're also looking at the office is going to be very different. So we are um, looking at adding much more collaboration spaces because, you know, from the survey we got from uh, the survey responses we got back from the employees, um, you know, as I said before, 90% of them see the office more as a social, you know, collaboration space. And so we need more collaboration um, uh, spaces for that to happen. So, yeah, that's the approach that we're taking in, in mm -hmm. terms of um, encouraging those to re return to the office from a safety uh, perspective first. And you know that what I, I, I love that so much. And for those of you that are listening, has your organization done any any sort of, you know, surveys or engagement with yourself and your other employees? Think about that as you all, you know, continue to navigate this return to office stages that we're going to phases i i'm i'm a fan of phase approaches right sometimes you try a little bit see what works great try some more bring some more people back great and so on and so forth i think it's one of those things where just as as much as people have a case-by-case -case situation when we were talking about let's just say location and relocation in some instances you know i also think that is true. When we think about health and all that, one of the things that I am curious about, and, I, and I've been having conversations about this, is, okay, when we think about a return to the office, you know, as we're at the time of this recording, y'all, as, as we're coming up on the fall, the winter seasons, you know, of course, we got COVID out there. We got cold season getting ready to start up. We got flu season that's going to come into play. Uh, we got folks who may have, you know, allergies change, right? All different kinds of things 
that are that are going to be coming into effect over these next few months. But even just thinking about that, what what flexibility or even best practices have you seen to where employees are really empowered to make that choice to stay home? Or should we look at it in a sense of, you know what, if you if you need to take a sick day, take it. I, I, I just think that, you know, one potential area, and I think folks are still working this out, is that um, at least that's been brought to me. It's like, hey, Matt, you know what? I, I don't want to, I'm okay with turn, returning to the office and all that, but I don't want to risk burning up all of my sick days, right? Because I think I may have, you know, some sort of sickness, whether it's cold, flu, COVID or something in between. What do you think about that? Yes, we we are going to uh, reconsider sick leave and really call it well-being, right? We're in a world now that is not just about being sick from the flu or being sick from, you know, COVID, for example. It's really about uh, there's people coming down with, uh, you know, burnout and stress from just, you know, the longer hours of work as well, right, and the availability um, of uh, you know their 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 time, and so we 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 are rethinking about the sick leave to more of well being and allowing people to take time off. We've given our uh, our employees self days off, right, to really um, recharge and then reengage. Um, so it's really important, um, you know, if someone feels that look, I just need time to recharge. Yes, you know, don't take your vacation leave. Um, you know, take for, you know well-being days off, right? That's really important. Changing the the aspect and the the, the viewpoint on sick leave because that's more of a negative view, right? Versus well-being as a, hey, I need to recharge. This is so true, and even when you think about it, you know, I I'm a huge fan, and I encourage everyone if you haven't already been doing this, but especially as we get back into the office slowly but surely, but definitely take a mental health day. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes just just take a day away. You know, I'm, I'm sure that depending on what folks are doing and what kind of role or capacity that they may serve in, perhaps there is a seasonality to when we think about workload and sometimes are a little bit more crazier than other times. But it, it, I can't say it enough. Therese, I'm sure you can't say it enough. You know, it's, it's just worth taking the time off. And I, I do think as we think about, you know, how this. I would say how this kind of well-being leave, I like that, or sick leave for those who, you know, aren't as hip as uh, Teresa's organization, you know, what what does that look like going forward? You know, I and I, I just say this, look, now, now I'm going to take my my host hat off and put my mat hat on. I'm just saying this, you know, it'll it would be unfortunate for employees to be in situations where it's like, oh man, I only got so many days or what happens when I really do, you know, get the cooties for a lack of better words. I really do face an element and now not even just the employees, especially if we kind of zoom in on COVID just by itself, you know, now with kids going to school or are already in school, right? How, How are we dealing with that? And it's just one of those things where I think, and I'm talking to the organizations out here, you know, I think it is worth to Teresa's point, to kind of look at, have those conversations and, and kind of reimagine what sick, quote unquote, or well-being will look like, because I, I don't think this is a situation where, you know, COVID is just going to disappear. Right. You know, I, I, I have reasons to believe this will be 
as common as the flu now, right? Oh goodness, one more thing to be on the be on the lookout for <laughs> going forward. So this is this is um I w- I would think this is something that's gonna be around to stay. And even thinking about from a more policy perspective, Therese, you know, what what are some of those things? And I, I like how we kind of uh, talked about and, and looked at a few of them, but what are some other policies that you feel like in general organizations should consider looking at when we think about, hey, how do we how do we get more friendly, whether that's in the digital or hybrid space, but also what are some of those things that it's worth looking at again now that we have been going through COVID for the last, I feel like two years at this point, mm-hmm. but what are some of those things that if you could call out the organizations and say, hey, take a look at this, you know, what would those look like? I definitely think mobility. Uh, mobility is definitely something that uh, we are rethinking about. And mobility from a sense of not, uh, you know, changing from one department to another, um, but really location, right? And international, in fact, as well. I mean, we have a lot of our employees asking, hey, can I do my my work from here or from here? I mean, we have to do, we do, uh, and, and you know what, organizations, um, some organizations have come out there and said, we're going to take this and make it a benefit, allowing some of our you know employees uh, 90 days of the year to go and work anywhere they want to, right? Um, and so we are looking at that. We are looking maybe not 90 days. There are tax implications, right, in some of uh, mm-hmm. the, the countries, <laughs> you know, but certainly it could be, a, you know, a definite benefit, you know, for, uh, for attracting but also retaining employees, right, it, giving them the flexibility to be able to work anywhere. I mean, I've been so fortunate that uh, I, I'm Australian and my family's still in Australia and mm-hmm. I took two bouts of uh, going back in Australia, working four months from Australia. Um, I mean, mind you, I had to work US hours to make it work. But, um, you know, I I was prepared to do that because I could, you know, spend that time with my family, which I haven't been able to in the last 10 years being abroad. So, you know, I think that uh, why not make that a benefit for others? Um, And so we are, we we have drafted a a mobility policy um, and looking at, you know, how that, of course, um, translates into tax implications for the countries. Um, but once we, we do, you know, tick that off, we're going to make it um, something that isn't going to be an advantage working at Wind River. Uh, so I think, yeah, rethinking about mobility, rethinking about working anywhere, not, you know, not all roles can work anywhere, you know, um, because of the time zone difference in their teams, but certainly for a short period of time, why not, right? Yeah. And that's a good point. And you know what, even just thinking about it and hopefully more organizations are looking at and, and considering mobility in a different sense moving forward. But even just, you know, you, you run into those practical situations and I like how you said, hey, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm located, you know, in the U.S., but my family is in another country. You know, I would love to be able to go and see them. Do I need to take, you know, three months of vacation or whatever the amount of time to go see them? Or can I do go see them? Let's just say take some time off and just work and be in their presence for a little bit longer. You know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, family, friends, whatever the case may be, it's, it's needed, you know, even outside of our, our work lives and what we do uh, during that nine to five. I think it's one of those situations and best practices that I have where, you know, I'm lucky to be on the team that, you know, they're, they're open to that, you know, that same kind of thing that you were talking about, Therese, you know, literally I just had, 
one coworker who worked a few days in Canada, right? After taking some time off to go and, and go to a wedding in Boston, you know, you know, I had another coworker who, you know, went to Mexico, you know, for some R&R, but also had the flexibility to say, hey, you know, manager, can I, can I, can I work a day or two in our, in our Mexico office, right? So even just being able to, of course, being mindful and keeping those uh, time zones on top of mind, but just that flexibility, sometimes it's one of those things where even similar to how we were talking about burning up those sick or those well-being days, we don't always necessarily have to burn up our vacation days either. You know, so that that idea of, of flexibility, I think is key. And even just as we think about organizations who keep that top of mind or rethink their mobility or just rethink a lot of those policies, I think it'll 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 really be for the employees' benefits. Now, I will say with this, and this is kind of where I want to shift a little bit, as we're starting to get you know, at least some sort of handle on this and folks are starting to travel more and feel comfortable. Now we have to be mindful and considerate of what COVID situations are in in certain places, right? Local places, wherever you go. So even just thinking about that, what are what are some of those things when we talk about vaccinations, some people are going to feel one way versus the other. But what are some of those things that you know, you all are looking at in terms of saying, hey, are we going to treat being fully vaccinated as a condition of employment or are we going to treat it more so for the newer hirees or the new headcount as, you know, a pre-employment requirement? And are there certain situations where, you know, folks, whether it's religious or medical, can be grandfathered in or since or, or how does how does that all come together for you? So, Matt, I think if we look at, and this is how uh, we viewed it, uh, we take a first safety first approach, as I mentioned before. And so when you take a, a safety first approach, you look at, um, you know, why do you want employees to be fully vaccinated, right? It's no different from being fully vaccinated against polio or rubella, right? Uh, I think it's really important to um, uh, center on that first and then things become easier. And so for us, you know, safety first means being fully vaccinated, right? Because uh, even fully vaccinated, there are breakthrough cases. People still can get COVID, but it is much more mild. And the uh, risk of death is, is much less. I mean, research and science have backed that up. And so what we've said is that uh, we haven't made it a condition of employment as yet because we're still, there's a lot of unknowns, right? There's a lot of unknowns. We're still... Um, what eight months in since you know vaccinations has uh, has been around, um, and so we are taking a cautious approach and saying, if you want to get together, if you want to uh, travel, uh, if you want to go back into the office, you need to be fully vaccinated. If you're not fully vaccinated, then just continue to work from home, right? To continue to work remotely, um, and then as things you know, because it's so dynamic, right? The environment out there at the moment is so dynamic. Um, that we've said we, we wait and see. Um, you know, the last thing, you know, we want to do is take it from, you know, political stance or any other stance. We want to take it from a safety first stance. So we've approached it that way. Um, and I think it's resonated. Of course, there are, you know, few employees have come to us and have said that, you know, we've discriminated, you know, could be discriminated and, and that against them. But we said, no, 
you know, it's nothing to do with that. It's really about uh, taking, you know, people's lives and safety into account and making that the first priority. Um, and so, you know, that's our approach and that's how we are taking the stance. And then as things evolve, you know, we may make it as a condition of employment. We may make it uh, a pre-employment requirement as well. And to be honest with you, Matt, you know, if you're in a customer facing role, a lot of our customers are actually saying and taking the stance that you've got to be fully vaccinated to go and uh, visit them anyway. Right. And even when you look at um, uh, airplanes, as uh, you know, flying in that as well. I mean, uh, some um, like Qantas have said you've got to be fully vaccinated in future to, work, to, to travel internationally. So I think the world is going to move in that direction and we will move with it. I think that makes a ton of sense. And let me tell you, Therese, and I was literally just talking to my wife about this, you know, what, no matter what you think about or what kind of side you fall on, vaccination or not, you know, my rights or not, my body or not, you know, I, I was telling her, I, I am almost certain that if airlines started, <laughs> if airlines started across the board requiring passengers to be vaccinated, one of two things is either going to happen. Either we're going to see those vaccination rates just shoot up all across the board, even to your point internationally, but definitely domestic. Or number two, Therese, we're going to have a lot more crowded interstates. And <laughs> I think after a while, people are not going to drive four or five days from coast to coast or wherever they need to get to. So that that would just tickle me if, if something like that did happen in the airline industries. You know, even just thinking about, yes, some organizations are requiring that to your point, customers and clients are in some scenarios too, but let me tell you, if, if, if folks in the airline industry make that across the board, I, I'm going to put it out there, y'all. For those of you that are listening, I think we will see those vaccination rates just shoot up. It would be, you know, it, it would just be an interesting situation to be in. But even to your earlier point, you know, and I always like to take some time to set the stage because we hear a lot about religious and health exemptions. Let's Let's take a step back. You know, I want to I want to make sure that folks get an understanding of, hey, what do we mean by that? You know, what what's a good example or a good exemption versus, you know, someone just making something up. Right. How how do HR or people departments, how do they, you know, sift out bad actors? Right. What does a no look like? What does all that look like now? Yes, I'm going to preempt this by saying things are a case by case basis. But I think when we think about the broader kind of population, especially for folks that aren't on the people side of things, they don't really know what that means. So, Therese, can you can you give us some insight on, you know, hey, whether it's religious or health, you know, what what is an exemption? What does that look like? And, you know, what could be a case where someone, you know, applies or wants to be exempted and you say no? Can I come up with the religion of Matt Therese? And say, hey, my religion, the first commandment and the religion of Matt says thou shall not get vaccinated. Will that work, Therese? Yeah. So, so Matt, we haven't come across the religious, but certainly uh, health, yes. Um, where, you know, we've, we've got employees who said, you know, for either their, their own health condition, um, that they are unable to get vaccinated. And, you know, we've worked through that with the individual. We looked at, you know, how can, you know, firstly, 
these are essential workers, right, who need to be in the office. So we've looked at um, uh, how can we isolate them, for example, but you can't isolate them forever, right? Uh, how, um, what accommodations, mm-hmm. special accommodations we can make uh, so that they're not exposed, right? So it's really about exposing them uh, to others who may be a COVID carrier, you know, who who asymptomatic, for example. Um, so it's it's really about protecting them, and they they understand it, and we've worked through that with them. Uh, but it may come to a point where we say, you know, look, you're an essential worker who needs to be in the office. Um, either we're going to have to test you on a very regular basis, on a weekly basis or so, when you know more and more people return to the office. Um, or we're going to have to isolate you forever, which is, which is, you know, so it's going to come to a point where they're going to have to make that decision themselves, right? Um, and so, but for the moment, you know, we've tried to um, uh, put reasonable accommodations and, and uh, that in place to make sure that they're not exposed and minimise the exposure to them. Now, on the religious, uh, even though we haven't got any cases on, on religious, we, we will take a trust approach and I'm hoping that this is very, going to be very minimal, uh, but, uh, you know, a, a, a trust approach uh, in terms of, uh, you know, having a discussion with them, really understanding what that means. Um, and it may mean, you know, just like, you know, the person who uh, for health reasons can't get vaccinated, that we put mm-hmm. them through regular testing. And I think at the end of the day, after, you know, a few weeks of the regular testing, they might go and say, okay, you know, like any other, like any other vaccinations, you know, people need to, to take, you know, it, it's, is it a personal or is it really religious? Uh, that's what they have could, you know, personally make that decision. Absolutely. And you know what, I, I say this at least once an episode, we, you look, Therese, you've been bringing up lots of good points to where we could even spin those off into each and individual episodes and even in its own podcast there there's just so much that is is worth being talked about worth being hashed out uh there's there's been a number of things you all for those of you that have been listening to the episode i mean we could we could stay on exemptions all day long you know we can get real practical with that we could talk about return to work we could talk about continue to talk about the, the pay implications, we could talk about, oh my goodness, only so much time, but we could talk about, you know, DEI implications of that. We can talk about what that looks like from a talent perspective, but Therese, we would be here all day long, and I know we have other things to do, so I just want to thank you so much for not only joining the conversation, definitely giving you, giving us your perspectives, your insights, but before we go, Therese, what are you up to? What's next? What's next for me? Um, I'm continuing working um, at Wind River. I love working at Wind River. I love the transformation that we're going through and continue to help uh, Wind River drive growth. So that's that's now and that's next for me in the foreseeable <laughs> future. And I'm, I'm loving it. So thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really enjoyed the, the conversation. I hope uh, everyone has too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think it will be, especially when this comes out. But before we go for real this time, how can people connect with you? How can people follow you? How can folks that want to reach out to you, you know, continue that conversation and keep it going? Yes, absolutely. Like anyone else, everyone's, well, most people, I hope, have a LinkedIn account. And so that's uh, how you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Therese Lamb. Uh, you can find me there. 
Sounds good. Well, y'all heard it. You know, this has been another great conversation, Therese. Thank you so much again. And for those of you that are listening, please feel free to keep the conversations going. Reach out to us, connect with us, follow us at, you guessed it, Young Black HR on your favorite social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, any of those will do. We love having the conversations. Don't forget about Twitter too, y'all. And if you all have ever any inputs, suggestions, feedback, we love to hear from you so you can reach out to us. Y'all probably could guess this as well, but it's youngblackhr at gmail.com. So until next week, until next time, this has been another amazing episode of the Young Black HR podcast. Make sure you connect with today's guests on social media accounts and If you haven't already, bookmark and check out our website at honesthumanresources.com for your career-related needs. Also, connect with Young Black HR on your favorite platform at, you guessed it, Young Black HR. You can locate us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Again, I am your host, Matthew Kirby, and I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Tune in to next week's episode.